When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and my guest today is Mike Swiderski. Mike, along with his wife Amber and their children, are beef and sheep farmers, are cattle and sheep farmers in Dufferin County. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wendell. And Dufferin County is north of Gray County? Dufferin County is just south of Gray County, so <laughs> Dufferin oh, I got that backwards. on the corn heat unit map and north gray county we're in that little tiny circle of coldness wait a minute dufferin county is south of gray county you gotta help so give me a town to get my bearings for dufferin county then the south end of dufferin county would be orangeville our closest larger town is shelburne shelburne so which for people that are not at all familiar with the area is like north west of toronto Yes, right along the Highway 10 that leads to Owen Sound. We're right along that highway. Right, and you're in kind of ski country? Well, we're on the fringe of it. We're half an hour from everywhere, so we would be just (laughs) half an hour from Blue Mountain Ski. So our topography, we're high and and high elevation and flat land, so really not ski, pretty tough to ski on. I feel like going down hills, but, uh, <laughs> and, and actually elevation wise, we would be about eight or 900 feet higher than that sort of hilly ski country. So it, it, okay. it, we're actually a lot different in, uh, in weather than that area, but that's, yep, that's, we're fairly close. So high elevation and it's kind of a plain. So you're like the high plains of Ontario. Yeah, we're the we're the headwaters. So the the Saugeen, the Grand, the Nottawasaga, the Credit, the Humber, they all leak out of our neighborhood. Is that right? Oh, okay. Well, that's a fairly important part of our area then. Yeah, I guess it is as far as kind of the, the watershed. You know, we are cool and, and we are a fairly moist area, but we're very important as far as those headwaters so so all of those rivers that you're talking about sort of start where you are and then they flow in one form or another eventually into one of the lakes yeah they're going to lake ontario lake lake erie georgian bay and uh lake huron do you ever think to put a a little rubber ducky in and follow it all the way it would take quite a while like (laughs) the, the grand runs just just uh, west of our farm, and it's not very grand. Uh, <laughs> oh, like right now, you could walk across it with your Sunday shoes on, but uh, yeah, really? there's a lot of water comes out of our sort of the circle around us. Yeah, I never thought like I mean, the Grand is the river that would go, you know, sort of closest to where I live, and then and then as it goes down through Cambridge and and all the way down to the lake like it gets to be a pretty impressive river but up at your area then it it just is sort of starting out yeah exactly so from our farm it it starts 
just a, a kilometer or so from our farm is kind of where, where the springs come out of the ground and form a river. I am really impressed with the learning we've accomplished already. But even recently, I was down south and, you know, we cr- I crossed over the Grand River and there was a float plane sitting in there and that even just boggled my mind. But it was the same, wow. same river. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. That's pretty neat. Okay, okay. Your business is farming and what kind of farming happens in in Dufferin County there? So on our farm we have uh, we custom graze some cattle some yearlings and we have a flock of sheep. Um, my wife Amber she operates a flower business where she grows and sells um, cut flowers for right and funerals, weddings, daily orders. Yeah, so Amber gave up the sort of high-pressure corporate life, because we were co-workers at one time, for the good life in Dufferin County. Yeah, yep. It's fair to say that Amber is a flower child now? I guess she is, and she would probably <laughs> happily admit that, yeah. Except yeah. I'm being fairly generous with the child, I suppose, at this point. Well, I don't know how far... <laughs> <laughs> I'll let I'll let you fight that one for me, okay? Yeah. And you know we're <laughs> a diversified farm, so you know we are. And I don't really like to to talk about too much. You know we're first generation farmers, so you know we've got diversity, and you know you know a few side hustles here and there that, that kind of make sure go right. So yeah, exactly. I mean, you do you do what you you can to make ends meet. So you didn't grow up on a farm then, correct? Where's home originally? The uh, area. Okay. And, uh, like, uh, parents involved in, like, the auto industry or no, working my, in town? No, my dad was involved, had a, a few jobs. He was a real estate agent. He was, a you know, a newspaper man. And uh, we, my brother and I both worked on neighbor farms and, you know, attended Guelph and, we're both actually farming now, so I think. Okay. You know, I think farming is just like any other other business. You just, you know, to, to have any small business is, is a challenge, and you know, it, it is possible. So, what was it about? Like, how did you get drawn into agriculture? I guess because Alliston is a city that would be how many people? Even even back then, like fifty thousand. No, Alliston at that time probably had, you know, six, six thousand, five hundred, seven thousand. Oh, okay. Okay, but a lot of the people in Alliston would work in the auto industry, or at least would have then. Like, right, there's a, a big that's, Honda factory there. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But you say you were involved in farming sort of growing up as well. Yeah, yeah, we always had summer jobs working on a farm, you know, I worked in everything from dairy cattle, beef cattle, some hogs, mink, you know, and cropping it, kind of everything. I got a good taste of sort of Ontario agriculture. Right. And so you had the choice, or I guess one career path growing up in Alliston would be to get a spot in at the car plant. You didn't take that. You decided to go the, the ag route instead. Correct. And so was that a fairly straight line once you made that choice? Was your path fairly direct or I guess what was the first step? Would have been Guelph probably. Yeah, and, I, and it really wasn't a question. 
I was going to be involved in agriculture and that was sort of the choice I was going to make. I guess a lot of youngsters, you know, they, they, they have a plan and they go with it until it doesn't work out. What did your parents think about that? I guess, did they think you were nuts or, or did they support that? My parents, they supported that. I don't think it would have mattered what I was uh, going to do. They were supportive. Okay, so you knew a bunch of people going to Guelph. You had been involved in, in some of the the farm organizations uh, as a kid as well? Yeah, um, yeah, I was part of the 4-H program and junior farmers, so the whole Guelph thing wasn't real new to me as far as okay. that kind of thing, yeah. All right, so it wasn't like city kid shell shocked, plopped in with a bunch of Aggie students. Correct. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. And coming out of Guelph, how did you get your foot in the door in the ag sector? So when I finished Guelph, I was uh, engaged to my now wife Amber, and she still had a, <laughs> a year. So my plan was it was a cooperative plan. So when I got out of Guelph, I, I worked for a friend of mine who just started a, a trailer breeder operation, and I worked at that for a year, and then uh, Amber and I moved uh, out to Alberta for a while and kind of kind of got to know each other a little better and, and, and got our, our start in further in, in agriculture. Right. Okay. So how long were you guys out west? We were out there close to two years. Like, how big of a shift was that for you, um, going from Ontario, which is, you know, especially where you live, is pretty urban and you're close to a lot of things, and then going out to Alberta, you know, it's a little more wide open. Yeah, it, but, you know, that, that Lethbridge area was, is, was a very intensive area, too. As far You know, there's intensive livestock operations, uh, all the crops in that direct area are all irrigation so it was fairly intensive agriculture much like sort of the, the southwestern ontario is you know that there's okay so so it wasn't a big it wasn't a big change and when you're young you know i was 22 years old not a whole lot fizzes you you know you just kind of jump in yeah. eat without really sure really really knowing you know it's that i think that's just kind of being young and naive i i guess Okay, and, and so you were a cowboy on a feedlot then? Turned out I was actually more the chicken guy. Okay. Yeah. So what would that job have looked like? Oh, it was, you know, checking chicken barns. There was about 70,000 broilers at the time. And the, and the guy I worked for, he, him and a partner, had also recently purchased a, a, a startup operation in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So I... I would spend a bit of time going back and forth. And then there was, I think, a 1,200-head backgrounding feedlot. So I was kind of the second guy in that. So it was process and, you know, pen checking. I was the kind of the, the second help on that side of the operation, too. So quite a bit of diversification. But I wasn't the, I wasn't a pen-riding cowboy by any means. <laughs> okay, so the picture I have in my head, the stereotypical western cowboy I, I i got that wrong okay yeah but you can you can wear a belt buckle i mean like i can fake you a pull the- <laughs> very good then back to ontario i mean amber got a job with a great feed company i know that yes and <laughs> and what did you do when you got back here and when i got back i actually returned to the uh the hatching egg farm 
think about eight years before I started looking after our children full-time and uh, farming full-time at home. Yeah, okay. And so you guys settled in, uh, now you got to help me with the, the name of the town here, Melanchthon. In Melanchthon, yeah. So we're kind of just, the closest town is Dundalk, and, and Melanchthon's a township, and we're very close to the little hamlet of Riverview, which is a small okay. dot on the map. Right, and you know, that is relatively close to where you guys grew up, right? Yes. But it's also an area that a first-generation farmer can get a start. Is that fair? At the time, it was, yes. And a lot has we've been on that place for 15, almost 16 years, but that is not the case now. The, the value of that land has really increased since we moved there. The Mennonite population has bought a lot of farms in our area and as well in that time we've lived there the task crop farmers from surrounding areas have have moved into that area as well we kind of moved in at the right time i guess well you got to take advantage of the breaks when you can right correct yeah so what does that farm look like today um right now that farm is uh it's a hundred percent perennial pasture so we have uh we rotationally or intensively manage our pastures so that we're grazing something there from may to december almost january and uh that's where we run we custom graze about 80 yearling steers or heifers and we have a flock of close to 300 sheep and and their lambs that's grazed there it's almost the sheep are never in the barn so they're either eating hay on the snow or grazing grass. Okay, so custom grazing, then somebody else owns the cattle and then they pay you to put them out on grass and you would get so much per pound of gain, presumably, or do you work with the same people every year? I have been. I've done both daily rates as well as as per pound uh, rates. So it's... Right. Like any good nutritionist can tell you, you get the right weather conditions and you get a real good pasture year, you make your mineral supplier and feed company look very good. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> and a, yeah. and on, a dry, on a dry year, we make all the excuses we can. <laughs> yeah, and interestingly, in, in our geography, sometimes it's those wet years where you have lots of grass and poor gains. So it, it's okay. just have trouble with dry matter intake on some of that wet grass. But Right, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's you're absolutely correct. Sometimes you look smart, <laughs> and sometimes you don't. Yep. And, and does the cattle and sheep? Is there a strategy to that? Like, do you let the sheep clean up after the cattle, or how does that all work? Uh, a bit of both. So sheep are can have parasite issues. So if we graze the cattle between the sheep, we have zero parasite issues with our sheep. So mm-hmm. our industry is fights with problems with having parasite issues with sheep that you can't, that the, that the popular dewormers aren't working for. And we actually haven't dewormed any sheep for about eight years now, so that... Right, okay, well explain the how that works a little bit then. Why putting the cattle in there, yep. The deworming strategy is that the cattle will eat the eggs of the, the sheep parasites, so they, it, which are on the in the dew on the grass. And the cattle are a dead end cycle for that 
Mm -hmm. And yeah. And besides the parasite, there's also synergies between the cattle. So I know you can't get something from nothing, but since we've added sheep to our operation, we're actually still running the same amount of cattle and the sheep. So they don't totally eat the same amount of the same grass. So there's a good synergy there. In New Zealand, most of the sheep farmers have cattle and the cattle farmers have sheep. So they work super, super good together. Yeah, okay. Then along with what you do with your own pasture and sheep, then you work with a pretty neat project that would be a community pasture. That's correct. I work with the, the local community pasture, which is called the the Grey Dufferin Community Pasture. Yeah. Logically, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so a community pasture means that like there'd be a bunch of people's cattle and on land that's owned by who? So the land is owned by the local community pasture. So going back, there's, there's actually... 11 community pastures in the province of Ontario. They were started as part of the ARTA program back between 40 and 50 years ago. Sorry, ARTA? ARTA, yeah, and that stands for Ag Rehabilitation Development Act. So that was was through the government, and these pastures were all owned through the government up until... 20 years ago during the, the Mike Harris provincial government and the pastures were downloaded on the, the local community pastures and, and they purchased the land over a 10-year period. And so it's a not-for-profit organization then that, that that owns these? That's correct. And okay. there still is um, an MOU with, with OMAFRA. So OMAFRA has a does have a little hand in there. There's no money given to the pastures from OMAFRA. OMAFRA sort of has the ability to be involved with the pastures. Right, but then an MOU, Memo of Understanding, with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. So they would have oversight, and it would fall under their umbrella in, in some way. In some way, correct. Yeah. Somebody from the government has to be responsible if it's a... <laughs> A government program, right. Okay. Um, okay, so if I'm a farmer, I decide I want to buy a bunch of um, steers in the spring and I want to get into the community pasture, how would I do that? And, and that's the thing. Every pasture has a sort of a different structure and a board of directors. And so what you would do is you would submit an application and mm-hmm. they would uh, let you know how many cattle you could put on. And... There's various, like at Grey Dufferin, we have steers and heifers. Um, some of the other pastures have breeding programs for heifers. Some of them have cow-calf pairs, and, and some have a combination of all of those things. So the community pastures, I, I'll just read through where they are. So there's Quinty, Rainy River, Temiskaming, Thunder Bay, Victoria, Algoma, Bruce, Grey Dufferin, Leeds, and there's actually two community pastures on Manitoulin Island. Right, so these are all, like Grey Dufferin, Bruce, like those are the southernmost, like there's a lot on northern, which makes sense, there's a lot more land up there, more suitable for pasture. Yeah, and you know, and, and just going through sort of some of the statistics, 
you every year there's close to 200 producers in Ontario beef producers are patrons on the community's pastures mm-hmm. and that represents around 6,300 head of, of cattle and like I said before that right. steers and heifers um, as well as cows and calves and a, a number of bulls that, as well so it, it does it is a good footprint in uh, on the Ontario beef sector. Yep. So your your Grey Dufferin community pasture that you manage, like how much land are we talking about? How many acres of pasture would you there's, be looking after? There's 700 acres on the okay. Grey Dufferin, and some of that's bush. Um, and you know it is marginal land. Yeah, for sure. Well, for sure. I mean, marginal. I guess this is the beauty of of beef cattle, right? You they could take a resource that's not really usable for a lot else. Like you're not going to grow corn on that land, and you can turn that into you know, something that is of value for farmers. So how many head of cattle can you run on that 700 acres? This year we had uh, 670 head. Okay, so fairly fairly well stocked. Yes. You need to manage that fairly aggressively then. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and like a lot of the hay land in Ontario, pasture land, you know, what you could do 20 years ago even with that forage land, you can't do now. The... the the value of the land and the value of the stock is is incredible now. It has to perform. Right. And so what are some of the things that you do from a management perspective that get you more out of that resource? So we have purchased compost. So we've been buying municipal compost. So we apply about 700 ton of that a year on the farm. It's actually... We're we're actually building the soil with that. So and also we we manage it quite intensively. We're at, we've got two groups of cattle varying between three and four hundred and fifty heads, and so all the cattle are in one in, in two different groups based on steers and heifers, and we're keeping them dense so they 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 keep that manure um, very dense when they're, when they're grazing, and and we're we're trying to get that grass at an optimum maturity and letting it rest and grow back vigorously. So we're, we're you know, a lot of that a bit of time and, and management, but we're doing our best on that. Is there a specific mandate as a, an organization that goes beyond just getting the maximum return for your members? Yeah, we're, like, besides getting that maximum return for our members, we're also, you know, we want the farm to improve. And another thing on our mandate is to sort of to, to try a few things and show the beef community. So, you know, what, what, if there's a new product that's come out, we'll, we'll be sort of jump out and try it. Um, you know, if there's something nutritionally, if our, our feed company is able to, to test the minerals in our, our grasses and, and basing our premix on that. So Derek from, from BNL was out and sort of was, we work with that a bit and and there's always somebody doing some sort of study so we've got people doing pollinator studies and and mm-hmm. just doing you know bobbling studies and OMAFRA students doing you know checking forage samples regularly so there's it seems there's always a, a scientist or a, a student that's, that's, uh, that's studying something there too and we're very happy to be able to kind of provide that provide that for the industry yeah it's a it's a great resource would you say that there's a community outreach component to this as well 
Yeah, most of the, the pastures besides ours here do that. They have, you know, we have a, an annual tour that we usually have close to 100 people out for. And, you know, the OMAP staff is there. And we encourage industry people to come and, you know, talk to the producers that show up and, uh, you know, have a good conversation about what they see and what's sort of going on in the industry. Okay. You'll be just reaching the point of, wrapping up your your season here soon i guess how will you evaluate whether this has been a successful year yeah so we actually have wrapped up our season normally we're taking cattle off around the 20th of september and this year this year they came off the the end of august so we've had a super dry year we've had almost no rain since uh the 20th of june after a, a really cool wet start so we were kind of look at what our, our total gains were for the year, and we've actually had a decent year. So most of the cattle, they, they gained, I, I guess you could say, average. And, and, you know, where we're sitting at for yearly income is we're sitting in a pretty good spot. So Right. So you don't have to kick your nutritionist butt too bad then. Correct. <laughs> yep. No, we, you know, and... I guess, too, as a manager, I can look back and say, you know, there's not a whole lot I would have done differently this year. And, you know, we've still had had decent results and and our producers should be happy. Our grass isn't chewed down and too far. And we're we're looking like, I guess, a lot of farmers were we're looking optimistic at next year already. So great. Yeah. You have to be an optimist with the challenges that we've had this last year more than ever, I think. Yep. Are you optimistic about agriculture in general? Are, are your kids going to be second-generation farmers, do you think? Yeah, I'm optimistic. Like, my son is in grade 11, and, he, you know, he's, from what we know now, he's looking at a career in agriculture of some sort. He's obviously got his eye. He, you know, he's, he's going to do a carpentry co-op with school, so we keep all the doors open. But, yeah, both my kids are excited about agriculture. And do you get some time away from the farm as well? Or I guess summer would be a pretty busy. What do you do for fun? Yeah, that's a good question. I, <laughs> you farm for fun, right? Yeah. Not a whole lot. Like, I don't want hired employees, which makes it difficult to to get off the farm. So, but we, you know, we try to do some weekend stuff and. And yeah, I guess we did get to Vegas last year, so we, we do get off of we, you know we're calculated on on trying to do some other things, but it it is tough to get away. Yeah. For me, Mike, because my wife owns a quilt store, I get you know sometimes a weekend away for me and means going to a a quilt show. Do you ever get dragged along to any kind of like flower stuff? Yeah, and you know that is a, that <laughs> is the thing about having um, you know a spouse who is farming as well on the same farm and you know it is tough sometimes you kind of look at each other for help and you know we're both you know whether it's her doing her spring planting or i've got lambs coming or cattle coming all over the place and you know sometimes things do get pretty hairy around the ranch right and if in a pinch i bet you you are killer at putting together a good wedding bouquet well, I haven't gone quite that far, but so I have been known to, to help out in the field for sure. Excellent. Mike, I, I appreciate you taking some time and, and talking to me. It's When you said that 
you know, your oldest is in grade 11. I, I had to check myself there because I'm always, I know my kids get older and, and we took our youngest off to college this fall, but I, I always forget that other people's kids are growing up too. So time doesn't stop for anybody. Absolutely. It's been good chatting. We'll put some links when we put the show notes out. Uh, if people want to get more information about one of the community pastors and check that out. And if people want to track you down on social media, how would they do that? The best way to get me on social media is through my Twitter account, which is simply at Mike Swiderski. At Mike Swiderski. We'll tag you. This has been fun catching up. Thanks for doing it, and hopefully we get a chance to talk again soon. For sure. Thanks, Wendell. This has been the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmrollag.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.